0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on a Wednesday and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks,
1: Dan. Appreciate you having me back.
0: Absolutely. So, Shane, continuing with our coverage of the Ukraine war, and there is much to catch up on, even today, Wednesday, we did see that Ukrainian President Zelensky, he did address Congress this morning. Uh, just a few moments ago, President Biden signed an aid package for Ukraine. Unfortunately, though, since we last spoke a week ago, the devastation in Ukraine continues. So what are the prospects for a diplomatic solution or a de-escalation as of today, Shane? And And what else are you monitoring as it pertains to these developments? I've been hearing about possible intervention from China, visit to Europe by President Biden, perhaps in the coming weeks. There's a lot going on here. Yeah,
1: you're exactly right. There are so many dimensions to this um, that it's sometimes hard to keep track. So, you know, starting with, you know, what's going on in this uh, war, you know, Ukrainians continue to uh, put up, a strong uh, front against uh, the Russians. And this, you you know, remember the Russians thought this would be about a three-day war and we're now here in day 20. And so this is starting to kind of shift how the Russians are approaching this. Um, Even uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov um, said that they were close to an agreement on, you know, negotiations to to, um, uh, come to, to... Come to some sort of compromise of how they'll, you know, cease uh, war activities and and stop this uh, war from going on. Uh, But you know that that is just talk until we see something real. You know, we can't get ahead of ourselves. You know, uh, three million Ukrainians have uh, fled the country, and to put that in. Um, some perspective, you know, Ukraine prior to the outbreak of this war was just under 44 million people, so roughly seven percent of the country's population has fled, uh, which is uh, creating a major humanitarian crisis as um, refugees um, are seeking food, shelter, etc. So, you know, uh, I think uh, the Russians are, are trying to figure out their next tactic uh, to try and see if they can, you know, uh, come to some victory in their mind. But you're also seeing them start to um, position themselves on the propaganda front and claim victory, even though it may not be at hand. Um, And and you're you're right to note that China, you know, um, is kind of in the wings here. Uh, You know, uh, there are reports that Russia has approached China for help with, um, you know, ammunition and other uh, um, um, uh, key important parts uh, to to Russia because, you know, because they thought this would be a quick war, you know, they may not have been properly stocked. You know, whether it's food for the troops or ammunition for the troops, you know, they have needs. Um, You know, China is trying to play coy here. Um, They're trying to not get uh, entrenched and you know, at the same time, they have this historic relationship with russia um so you know they're uh, at this point, I think China's trying to avoid getting uh, mired in this uh war um and and is trying to kind of take the long view, which is very um appropriate you know that is kind of the Chinese take on a lot of these issues where they don't play you know, the short game, they play the long game. So they're trying to stay out of this as long as they can. Um, and you did mention President Biden. he is, It looks like he's going to go to Europe next week. Um, and this comes on the heel of some European leaders who just showed up in Kiev to meet with President Zelensky. So um, a lot of the world continues to rally behind Ukrainian and the Ukrainian people. Um, but, you know, this is not going to uh, be resolved. This week, so uh, unfortunately, I think there's going to be more um, devastation for the Ukrainian people, and 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 we can only hope that this uh, humanitarian aid and uh, some of the uh, military aid uh, prevents uh, uh, death of innocent Ukrainians.
0: Well, Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on the latest developments. I know the markets were encouraged. This morning at the sound or inclination of potential peace talks or ceasefire talks, of course, as you put it, nothing solidified. So there is, unfortunately, more to come, and we'll be sure to update our listeners as we continue to learn more. Uh, Sticking with geopolitics, because the Ukraine war does have implications to other geopolitical considerations, it is interesting, Shane, earlier this year, as at the time, the Ukraine-Russia tensions were Just beginning to ramp up, I recall you mentioned that you expected North Korea to act out if Spotlight were to shift away from them. Now, fast forward to today, a lot has unfolded and there have been some developments surrounding U.S.-China talks as it relates to North Korea's weapons program. Uh, This, of course, in the wake of a recent missile test conducted by North Korea. So what's the latest there, Shane?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think this is kind of out of the North Korean playbook. So, you know, we did expect some, um, uh, activity that was provocative in nature, um, you know, uh, and that came to fruition. You know, um, this week, the U.S. National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, um, he and his, uh, counterpart from China, uh, and their staffs, uh, were, were sat down and discussed um North Korea because remember you know uh China has the most important relationship with North Korea it's it's close because of economic and political ties um so you know if you ever want to um see something positive happen in North Korea you're going to need China on your side so um these talks you know it's in at the end of the day really um bear, you know, every resolution to this, uh, problem with North Korea being and their provocative, uh, missile launches, but it, it, but it was a healthy step. Um, you know, I think it was something like a six hour conversation and, and, you know, it wasn't just on North Korea. Obviously the, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine was a topic of conversation as well. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, this, this, as I said, is not going to resolve the uh, uh, issues with North Korea, but it is important to be on the same page with Beijing as North Koreans uh, escalate uh, in their missile launches. And we think there may be a missile launch of an ICBM as soon as this week or next week. So um, having this uh, conversation now instead of later is important. Um, and, but we should expect, uh, more instability coming from the Korean Peninsula in the, in the days and weeks ahead.
0: It is encouraging, to your point, Shane, that there is at least dialogue between the U.S. and China on North Korea. Of course, these weapons tests, very concerning, so we'll continue to keep our eyes on this. Uh, Maybe coming back stateside for a few moments, Shane, the confirmation process of Fed nominee Sarah Bloom Raskin to serve as vice chairman. By the way, the Fed just hiked uh, rates by 25 basis points just a few moments ago, as was widely expected. But this particular confirmation process at did hit a roadblock, a significant roadblock this week as a result of reservations or concerns expressed by Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia. Uh, What were the concerns expressed by the Senator Shane? And I do understand that since that occurred, Sarah Bloom Raskin has withdrew her nomination. So what comes next here?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Sarah Lumirescan, uh has pulled her uh, nomination. Uh, but there, it's also important to note that it just wasn't her nomination. There were other nominations to the Fed that will probably uh, proceed now. Those were being held up because of her nomination. Um, Republicans were really pushing back on her nomination. And you see, it wasn't just Republicans. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia uh, uh, announced his opposition, I think it was uh, Monday this week, um, essentially saying that, you know, sh- she uh, failed to address his concerns about the critical importance of financing and all of the above energy policy to meet um, our nation's energy needs. You know, there's been a lot of conversation, um, not just recently, but in the past uh, few years about, um, you know, uh, how to... You know, uh, put the focus on, you know, more climate friendly energy sources, we'll say. Um, But, you know, uh, Senator Manchin has pushed back on some of these uh, proposals that, you know, reach beyond just our typical conversation of, you know, what are the energy sources about how they're financed? And that's where the Fed comes in, right? Um, So he has pushed back and, you know, um, with his opposition and no support from any Republicans. You know, her nomination was doomed, so she has uh, pulled back. But I think, you know, where does that leave us? It probably leaves us in a position where those other nominations are going to get to go forward now. And uh, the Biden administration will now look for a new vice chair of supervision, which is a critical role at the Fed. Um, And, you know, I would expect that they'll probably have a a new person uh, nominated in a month or two and try to get that person across the finish line, you know, um, sometime this summer.
0: Thank you, Shane. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes open for that, as well as the process for these other nominees. Uh, maybe ending our conversation for this week on a somewhat lighter note, no pun intended here, as I am referring to the Senate, how they did pass legislation that would make daylight savings permanent uh, starting in 2023. So, Shane, how did this initiative come to pass, and what are the next steps following the Senate's vote?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I thought the pun was intended, and I, I was <laughs> hoping you pun intended there, but... Um... You know, this is an interesting one, you know, because what I've seen from lawmakers over the years is, you know, they do listen to their constituents. I mean, it may not feel like they're listening to us, the voters, but they do. And, you know, this is one where they routinely, you know, hear from people, especially around daylight savings time, that, you know, why do we do this? This is, you know, I, I feel like this is foolish. You know, I hate setting uh having to wake up the kids an hour earlier and you know it, it kind of stresses us all out. So I think, you know, they they do listen and, you know, the iron was hot will say that because it was just daylight same time, the Senate was able to move forward with this bill to essentially, you know, stop doing this um next year um with unanimous consent. You know, um the bill still has not passed the House. Um so it's now in the House's hands. Um you know, I think this has this effort has some momentum. So if, if the House can kind of act quickly in the next few weeks while the iron is hot, you know, I think uh, this could be passed into law. And as, as you mentioned, it doesn't go into law immediately. It kind of gives time um, because there's a lot of, to go into this to make this happen. You know, I was just actually speaking with someone who said, you know, oh, the tech companies will have to spend a lot of time recoding. Well, it's not just tech companies, airline companies who um, have reservations. So, you know, there there's some work behind the scenes that would probably take a little time to make this um, transition smooth. So, uh, that's um, something that's been baked into this bill. But, you know, we'll see where this goes. Um, but, you know, I think this is a little bit of uh, Congress actually listening to their constituents. And, um, you know, maybe maybe in two years, you and I won't need that extra cup of coffee in the morning after daylight savings time when we spring ahead.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say that we could have all used that extra hour of sleep this past Sunday morning. But interesting to hear about some of these behind the scenes implications as well. Very Interesting stuff. Though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by uh, here on a Wednesday afternoon to bring us up to speed on a range of important developments, including foreign and domestic policy matters. More to come. We'll follow up next week. In the meantime, wish you a nice uh, balance of the week, Shane. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Dan. It was great to catch up with you, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you
0: soon. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And again today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and their clients, uh, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In the Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific securities, securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements,